When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're getting ready to go out. You want to get in the mood. There's a playlist for that. You move to the beat. You trip over the dog. You're not dancing anymore. You open the Medibank app and find a physio. We live in an on-demand world. And now your health insurance comes on demand too. Download the new Medibank app today. On 1116 SEN, this is the Flag Flyers for the American Australian Association devoted to strengthening relations between the United States and Australia. Hello everyone and welcome to the Flag Flies, a place where we profile and chat about all the Aussies flying the flag for us in the US of A. I'm Christopher Tyler, alongside me is Lucky Miller. What's going on, buddy? Oh, good to be back, mate. Another week of uh, of sports uh, to talk about. And, um, and a lot of uh, a lot of movies to talk about as well, because we're talking about our favourite sports documentaries. Documentaries, mate. They're not movies. It's the same thing. Why do you keep going on about Semantics are important, Chris. Oh, my goodness gracious me. We are going to be talking about our favourite sports documentaries because last week we had a look at our favourite sports... Movies. Movies. All right. So last week you got upset that I put Hoop Dreams in my top 10 favourite sports movies of all time. So we decided to do a separate one today and we'll probably go into it quite comprehensively, let's be honest, because we do love our movies. So we decided to do our top 10 favourite sports documentaries. Well, I mean, we could say we're top 10, but in reality, you did a top 10, which was actually a top 15, and I just... I had apologies, so I had top 10s that uh, included five others that didn't make the cut. Well, I think we're going to lack uh, lack some uh, structure in how we go about this. But anyway, we, we got through an awful long. We talked about a few of our favourites, which was, uh, yeah. We did, and along with that, before we even get into that, we're going to be chatting to Xavier Player from Hewitt Sports Network about the latest in the world of baseball. Grant Belfort, there might be some news about uh, his goings on, which is going to be very interesting, so make sure you stay tuned to hear what Xavier has to say about that. Maybe an Aussie at the El Paso Chihuahuas. We'll find out who that is as well. Good friend of the show. Let's say that there's a clue there. A good friend of the show going to the Chihuahuas and Chihuahuas I'm I'm pretty uh, interested to see how many times you're going to say Chihuahuas throughout the next uh, hour or so that'd be that's going to be my count It doesn't make sense Chihuahuas I mean it's spelt so wrong I mean it's Chihuahua It's like Mike Shashevsky the first time you saw Mike Shashevsky's name on paper you did not say, hey, Mike Krzyzewski. I said, Mike Krzyzewski. Krzyzewski. So we're going to be chatting to Xavier about that, along with all the others. Well, I say all the other Aussies playing in the major leagues. It's really two others, and then we're going to be going into the minor leagues as well. Then, of course, we're going to be chatting to Ben Yamkadane from Believe the Hype, NBA.com, about the latest in the NBA playoffs. We've still got three Australians left, Lockie, in the NBA finals. Of course, we had a couple bundled out. Uh, in the last series, the Clippers and Spurs series. So no longer do we have Petty Mills and Aaron Baines, but we still have Matthew Delavadova in the Bulls vs. Cavs series, which was two apiece. It is currently at two apiece, so I'll talk to Benyam about that. And we've also got, well, Cam Besto as well, I should say, in that series, but he probably won't get into game time. And we've also got Andrew Bogut in that Golden State vs. Memphis series. Golden State find themselves 2-1 down in that series currently, but we'll see if Ben Yem thinks they can rebound or not. So it's going to be a big, big show. Let's get straight into it on Rounding the Bases with Xavier Player. Kicking us off on Rounding the Bases this evening is Xavier Player from Hewitt Sports Network. Mate, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How are you? Very well, very well. Now, the biggest news from an Australian perspective throughout the week in the world of uh, Major League Baseball is the fact that Grant Belfort has found a home. Well, he has, but it's even though he's found a new home, he has not found a new home. He's still in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. So, so, so go, go through what, uh, what happened with uh, Grant Belfort over the past couple of weeks for those who may not be quite up to scratch with what happened. Designated for assignment, you've got a 10-day period, release, the Rays can bring him back, he can be traded. Um, so in the end, the Rays bought his contract back, so he's now playing at the AAA Durham Bulls. Which, of course, and is the, um, the team that is uh, the, the movie Bull Durham is based off. Yes, very much. And since uh, kicking off his time in Durham, he's made two appearances, pitched two innings, given up a hit, but struck out four guys over two innings, which is probably more impressive. So what type of form do you think he needs to display in order to make that leap back up to the majors? Well, he, he thinks he's very capable. I think for him it's about getting his velocity spot on and also 
really working on his fastball, which was just a bit off when he was uh, seeing action with Tampa Bay. If we look quickly at his stats from when he was with Tampa Bay this year, six appearances, 4.1 innings, 6.23 ERA, and an opponent batting average of uh, 200. So pretty disappointing uh, for him there. So, look, I think if he can work on his fastball a bit, then he's probably a chance to come back up at some point this year, but I wouldn't wouldn't say that it's going to happen within the next week or so. Do we know what kind of velocity he's after? Because we see a lot of these uh, major league pitchers who are getting on in age up to that 40-year-old mark kind of thing. A lot of them drop off their fastball velocity. What was he at at his peak around about, and, and, and what uh, what's he pitching at at the moment, do you know? I'm not 100% sure, but I think just from watching him pitch this year, if he can find mid-90s, that'd be good. Absolutely it would. And 96, 97. That's not bad at all. That's, you see a lot of the young guys can't even get uh, up to the uh, the mid to, to high 90s. Yeah, as I said, I'm not 100% sure. I'm just, I only, I think I saw one of his outings this year, so I'm a bit bit sketchy on that. But you know, I'll do some research and we'll talk about it next week. Uh, just one that uh, I'm not sure we brought this up a couple of weeks ago. I, um, I think I, I found out recently. Have we talked about a uh, friend of the show, Josh Spencer's uh, recent, I think, oh, I'm not sure if it's an official appointment or something in terms of uh, he's now the bullpen coach at the minor league team El Paso Chihuahuas. <laughs> the uh, Chihuahuas. Interesting. I hadn't heard that. So, Inside source, Xavier. You know, I've got you could have you could have brought it up to Xavier in the Post in the pre-show meeting, no, no, and let him know. Well, if we weren't it if on we weren't talking about KFC double down <laughs> burger candles, and yeah, maybe, but you know, uh, these things happen. But yeah, that's fine. Um, no, I hadn't heard that. Um, if if he has that fantastic role, there's a a, a few Aussie guys who are transitioning into managerial roles. Uh, in the state, so I think that's a, that's a very good leap. What's the? Uh, can you maybe put some perspective on? I suppose. Um, what sort of role that is in the context of uh, hierarchy in terms of be- being a bullpen coach in a minor league team? So is that a, is that a quite a, a quick step up above Division One NCAA baseball? And, and uh, then... it it is. So it, within each uh, team, you've got your your manager, who's the one who's calling all the shots. You've got your bench coach, who is in a slightly different role. You've got your hitting coach and your pitching coach. Then underneath your pitching coach, you've got your bullpen coach. Ah. Your pitching coach is your guy who looks after everyone in a broader sense. Your bullpen coach is your guy who focuses on the guys that are coming out of the pen, obviously, so it doesn't work uh, with the starters. Right. Which I, I think that's a good role for Spence because he's, he's spent a bit of time in his career as a starter. He's spent a bit of time as a bullpen guy. So I think that's a really good role for him. Oh, awesome. Absolutely. Now, the next player we want to have a look at is Liam Hendricks. How's he looking at the moment? Uh, he's had... Two outings in the month of May so far. He threw 2.1 innings against the Cleveland Indians on uh, May 2nd and struck out one, gave up a hit and two runs. And then on May 9th against the Red Sox, he threw uh, three innings, struck out three and only gave up the one hit. So that's not bad because at the start of the season, he's kind of... He's been a bit slow to get into the, uh, the the rhythm a little bit, but now he seems to slowly being able to find uh, has, find some form. His overall record for this season is he's appeared in 10 games. He's thrown 13 innings. He struck out 14 guys. He's still got a, a 0-0 win and loss record, and his earn run average is 3.46. So, Three point four is all right. And you're getting just uh, just above one strike per inning, so that's uh, that's that's not too bad. Not a bad ratio at all there. Absolutely, and Trav Blackley, who's uh, one of the favourites on this show, he's uh, as you actually we haven't spoken to you by the way since uh, you let's say broke the news or you did some investigating and you saw that uh, he was probably going to make his way down to Miami to play for the Marlins, and that pretty much the day after or a couple of days after that news was confirmed. So first of all, well done, and secondly, how long until we actually see Trav uh, get some um, get some time, get some pitches? Uh- First of all, thank you very much. It wasn't breaking news. It was some uh, good good research on Twitter that led me to that. He'd, or- he'd originally signed a deal with the Independent League Somerset Patriots, but obviously the Marlins gave him a call shortly after, and that takes precedence. And so he's in Jupiter, which is the home of the Marlins uh, extended spring training base. So he's just uh, getting himself ready, working on his arm, building his pitch count, throwing a couple of simulated games. So. Hopefully within a week or two, but 
Yeah, and you just don't know how much work you need. So it's it's kind of touch and go. I mean, it's definitely he's he's in the organisation. That's fantastic. I'm just not sure when he's going to to make the jump to uh, facing live batters. What about the guys in the minor leagues? Rather than having a look at uh, all of them, let's let's pick out maybe uh, one or two players who are really impressing you and probably have the best opportunity to see some major league time uh, at some stage in in the near future. Uh, James Beresford, who is in AAA at the moment. Former ace, Melbourne Aces. Former former Melbourne Aces player, James Beresford. Playing with the Rochester Red Wings, who are the Minnesota Twins AAA team. The the Twins this season are sort of up and down, and they're don't really have playoff expectations. (laughs) So, and that's not a negative thing. I think any Twins fans listening to the show would be very quick to admit that they're in a phase where they've got a a lot of good young talent coming through, but they know they're still probably three or four years away from being in a position where they're going to compete for the AL Central. You look at the AL Central at the moment, you've got the Kansas City Royals who made the World Series last year, the Detroit Detroit Tigers who have started very hot, Uh, the Chicago White Sox are improving... Uh, Cleveland are, are thereabouts, but probably not going to make the playoffs this year. So that's a very tough division. So I think for, for Twins fans saying that they're in a period where they're not expecting to play playoffs is very much a, an honest statement rather than a than a, a false platitude of any sort. So uh, Beresford, through 23 games this year, has a batting average of uh, 333. Uh, he's got, hit three doubles, 10 runs batted in on the season... Uh, he's walked six times, and his on-base percentage is three seventy-four. So, so what, what would you give him out of ten then? How's that form? How, how is that I going to get him to to the major leagues? If ten's going to get him up to the majors, the biggest concern when I look at what he's done this year is probably striking out thirteen times in twenty-three games is probably a little higher than he would have hoped for. Um, so, I'd, look, I'd probably give him a, a, a seven, a seven and a half at this point. Right. And let's finish... And oh, go on. The other uh, guy we'll quickly talk about is Boric Seppold, who's in the Detroit Tigers organisation, playing at double A. And he had a bit of a, a rough start to year, but he seems to have settled a bit. So he's, from his five starts, he's 0-1, and he's got an ERA of uh, 6.48, but he has struck out 15 guys in five starts. So when he's only pitched 25 innings, so he's averaging five innings a start, uh, start and averaging... Uh, three strikeouts and stuff. That's not too bad. He, he's definitely going in the right direction. Now, uh, as we always do, Xavier, we love talking to you about uh, the world of the weird and the wonderful, and you've brought something else to the table this week. I, I do. Uh, so I'm assuming both of you would have played noughts and crosses at some point in your life. Yes, I was a champion. Never. Okay. Well, there was a rain delay the other day to be, uh, between the Colorado Rockies and Los Angeles Dodgers. So... To ease the pain a little bit, their official Twitter accounts had a game of noughts and crosses. Their Twitter account? Their Twitter accounts had a game of noughts and crosses. <laughs> That's a pretty good effort. I, I love what some of the, um, the, the you know, um, Major League uh, teams and Twitter accounts are doing, not just in the Major League uh, baseball ranks, but also the NBA, because there was... NHL? Oh, yeah, I know what you're going to talk okay, about. Okay, so the NHL have one as well, where the um, Rangers stopped using capital letters in their tweets because they were playing against the, uh, Washington, the Washington Capitals <laughs> in the series, so they stopped using capital letters. And another one that, uh, that, that comes to mind really quickly is uh, when uh, Atlanta got beat on the buzzer by... Uh, a uh, a bank shot, Paul Pierce's bank shot. They started a petition to ban bank shots counting as buzzer beaters, and they asked Cleveland to sign it after Cleveland lost to a Derrick Rose banker. So it's very funny. They're very clever. Some I of these thought guys. you were going to mention the um, the Dallas Mavs. Um, no, not Dallas Mavs. The Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets and the yeah, Dallas Mavs. Can't talk about that. Why not? Well. I, I, it's a very contentious issue, and I think a lot of people. What a rubbish decision! Like honestly, I, what happened? I, I, I know a few people. I'm not going to name drop here. I have a, a very good friend who works for the NHL social media team. NHL and NBA or sorry. NHL. Okay. Um, as part of their official accounts and stuff, but I'm, I'm not going to name drop. But I, I know people who do like I know people who do this in that same sort of high pressure situation. And the biggest thing to come out of it from them is them talking about how that's essentially their living fear every single day, because you either win the internet. Or you lose your job. There's no middle ground. Jesus. So I, I think for that very reason, cutthroat. 
it's a really contentious decision. It's, I look at it and go, when you look at the potential implications of what people... I think you look at what people saw when they read the tweet against what he wanted them to see, and with the majority seeing what they saw and not what he wanted them to see, I think it's probably a fair decision. I do not understand where you're coming from. But uh, the, the, <laughs> okay. other, the, the other thing, though, is um, in terms of living in fear, like the way, the way you almost like sound like the perfect voiceover intro man for like a documentary on this, like just like the spelling bee uh, in the US, <laughs> like these kids are like dripping sweat. Please spell Chihuahua or something like that. I don't know. Um, you know, <laughs> you got Chihuahua yeah, stuck in your head, mate. Chua, uh, ch- Chihuahua, as Carl Stefanovic would say. Um, but yeah, no. Um, look, I don't don't get me wrong. I think uh, yeah, high pressure. But at the same time, I mean, it was a picture of a, it was a horse emoji and a gun. It's like, come on. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Hey, let's move. Let's move on. The last thing that we want to touch on today, Xavier. Last week on the show, Lucky and I went through our top ten favorite sports movies, and this week we're going to go through our top ten sports documentaries so before we uh finish off uh running the bases with you this evening do you have a favorite sports documentary can i just say the espn 30 for 30 series or do you want one in particular we need one in particular because that kind of makes up the chunk of my <laughs> I, I came and up with 15 xavier uh I've, I've condensed it to 10 but out of my 15 out of the short list 12 of them were uh, espn docos so i, I probably need one specifically Essentially, what you're saying is that we could do a whole other show on sports documentary. Yep. Well, that's what I wanted this week to be, yeah. but then in the end, we decided yeah, to... Yeah, no, he's, he's a bit like that with his decision-making. Yeah, I know. Now he's, getting, he's got a new diet. He's got a new He's got a new sort of persona. He just thinks he's elite. And I'm just here sitting as the as um, second in charge. Always have been, mate. Oh, right. Uh, right go on. What, what do you think be your favourite docos, over? I'm going to name two because I can't name one. Okay. Uh, Non-ESPN 30 for 30, I would go Year of the Dogs, which is about the Footscray Bulldogs 1997 season. Nice. And ESPN 30 for 30, I'm going to go the one on Roberto Clemente. Ah, that's a good one. I forgot about that one. Clearly, it didn't make my top 15. <laughs> <laughs> Xavier, thank you so much for joining us as always, mate. Make sure you stay tuned as well to, to hear what uh, our opinions are for the... Uh, for our top 10 favourite uh, sports documentaries. And also, we can, you can find it on Twitter and all that sort of stuff as well. I, uh, disagree. It may be a, a talking point for next week. Twitter war, mate. Let's get into a Twitter war. All right. Sounds good, mate. <laughs> Have a good one, mate. We'll speak to you next week. Thank you very much. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. Continuing on on rounding the bases this afternoon is Ben Yamkadan from BTHype.com. Mate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. So let's start off with the Grizzlies and Golden State series. Obviously, Golden State finishing the regular season as the best team in the NBA or best team in the West and probably the team to beat uh, in the whole of the playoffs. They currently find themselves 2-1 down against the Grizzlies. We kind of predicted this uh, going into this series because of the Grizzlies' front court pressure with uh, Marcus Ole and Zebo and those kind of guys. How do you see the, uh, the, the series playing out so far? And the last couple of the games, Bogey's been a bit quiet. Can that change? Well, it's, it's an interesting one because, I mean, we discussed last week that the Warriors were potentially going to struggle a little bit uh, against the physicality of the of the Grizzlies, but I don't think anyone expected it to be this bad in, in, in the fact that they're not really hitting their shots at all for a, for a jump-shooting team who, you know, lives and dies by the three-pointer uh, and has been living a lot more than they have been dying uh, this year. They've definitely struggled in that department, especially uh, in games two and three, uh, the two that they uh, lost Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, I think in game three, went eight from 33 uh, from three-point land. That's only 24%. And, and you, you throw that in with some turnovers as well. I think they had 17 in this game. So defensively, the Memphis Grizzlies have done a fantastic job, not only inside, but on the perimeter as well. So they're really just swarming the uh, the Golden State Warriors and, and making things very uncomfortable for them. And with one game uh, in Memphis here, it's a, it's a pretty defining one because if the Grizzlies get this, this next game, game four, they go up 3-1. That's a pretty... Uh, impossible position to get out of at this stage in the playoffs. Absolutely, but on on the flip side, if Golden State win, that's back to home court. So it's really it is going to be that massive game, and it's one of the biggest things that the critics were talking about Golden State is that they do live and die by the three pointer. And you know, being a championship contender, a lot of people are saying that um, those who rely too much on their jump shots can't win a championship. But they, I think should be able to get through because they've, they've just displayed unbelievable um, talent throughout the season and they're, they're very deep and all that sort of stuff. But we're not even seeing guys like David Lee on the court, which is a bit strange. He's been healthy, but he hasn't been playing as much as probably a lot of 
uh, fans or, or casual supporters might have thought he would have. And it's just kind of left up to Bogey and Draymond Green and Maurice Spates as well to uh, kind of control the paint. Yeah, it's an interesting one with, with David Lee considering how big a part of uh, you know the Warriors system he was you know for the last couple of years. But with the system that Steve Kerr's running, his bailout option when things aren't going according to plan uh, is to go small, and that's those lineups where you see Draymond Green uh, playing at the five, and, and that even did yield some success for them uh, late in in Game Three against the Grizzlies. You know they they did manage to close a pretty big gap. I think it was 19 points at one stage, and they did get back into things uh, with that lineup. But he hasn't really been pushed to the point where he's had to really try and rethink. Uh, things all together and, and, and maybe go to a guy like David Lee. But I think the areas that they've been struggling in are a lot of the things that David Lee does really well, playing in the pick and roll, uh, you know, getting those easy buckets around the rim. He's got a very soft uh, touch within sort of, you know, 10 to, to 5 feet. And, and also just being you know, a solid screen man uh, and, and, and just being able to get rebounds as well. That's another big thing uh, for the Warriors as well offensively. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if we maybe you know, saw him turn to, to David Lee. Things don't go well again. Uh, in Game Four, but it's uh, it's an intriguing uh, ace to sort of have up your sleeves to bring a guy who was you know just an All Star a year ago, uh, you know, in uh, at this stage of the playoffs. So from the Grizzlies to, and Golden State series to the Bulls and Cavs series, this one's tied up at two apiece on the back of LeBron James's buzzer beater in the fourth game, and that comes on the back of a Derrick Rose buzzer beater in the third game. This is a tremendous series at the moment. Yeah, I mean the, it's it, it's buzzer beater central at the moment. We've had three in the space of uh, three days with Paul Pierce. Getting in on the action. The well. truth. This one very nearly didn't happen for the Chicago Bulls because, oh, sorry, for the for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, they had a different play drawn up, and LeBron, you know, hijacked things and, and and drew something up for himself to get that that shot off. So a very lucky win there for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, they're going to feel pretty good about themselves now, uh, squaring things up at at two two. But for the Bulls, I think the Bulls really just blew this one. They really should have uh, taken this game out. They their execution down the stretch was terrible. They shot five from nineteen from the field in the fourth quarter, five turnovers, and really just let the Cavaliers back into this game. I don't think that uh, the Cavs were expecting to have that kind of an opportunity, but it was more of a, uh, a series of errors <laughs> that, that sort of led them to that point from both sides as well. So it was a pretty uh, pretty messy finish to this game, but uh, it'll only be remembered for that game winner. So that's all that matters. You mentioned LeBron changing up the uh, out-of-bounds play towards the end of the game there. That obviously meant that Delavadova was the one inbounding it rather than LeBron himself. Does Delavadova get any credit for what he did? And does he get the assist? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it looks simple to just sort of inbound that play, but there's a lot of pressure uh, to not mess that up. And, and with only 1.5 seconds on the clock, you don't have a lot of time to uh, to stuff around. So you know, credit to Delhi. He, he it was it was a simple uh, play, but he, he got it right and got got the shot. Uh, sorry, got the ball to LeBron for the shot, uh, which was you know a, a fantastic effort from the from the corner in front of Jimmy Butler as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's nice to see him in there uh, at, the, at the end of the game, but it's uh, pretty crazy to think David Blatt had something drawn up for LeBron uh, yeah. to be the one inbounding the ball. He's been consistently good this series, um, Dally. Putting up some good numbers. Been really, really good, and especially considering Kyrie Irving uh, has been hobbled a little bit, uh, especially over these last couple of games. Dally's done a great job of coming in uh, and absorbing a few of those minutes. Uh, he, he's shooting the ball really well uh, as well. That's something that, that he's been doing really well all season, but the fact that he's been able to, to keep that up, but also... Uh, passing out of the corners as well. He's done a great job of uh, of, of keeping the ball moving and, and getting guys a lot of open looks. So he's been a really, really uh, nice addition for the Cavs off the bench, especially with that, that eight-man rotation they've, they've been running. It's nice to have a guy out there that you know has been consistent for them. And he was relatively important when J.R. Smith um, got uh, suspended, I think, earlier on in the series. Yeah, well, J.R. missed the first two games of this series, so there was a little bit of extra pressure on Delhi to take in some of those minutes as well. But you know, he's, he's pretty much produced the same uh, output uh, throughout this sort of uh, series against the Cavs, so I think David Blatt uh, will be pretty happy with uh, with the fact that he's been able to get some consistency out of Delhi, which is something that you know, he hasn't always been able to do, uh, given the sort of fluctuating minutes. But he's got a pretty good uh, run of games uh, in, in in this series, so he, he's done really, really well. And, and you know, for a guy that um, you know normally is seen as the backup point guard, you know, to Kyrie Irving, he's done a few different jobs uh, for the Cavs throughout this series, so he's been very, very valuable. Now, uh, we asked Xavier Player this before, and we're going to ask you the same thing. Today on the show, Ben Yen, we're talking about uh, our favorite sports documentaries of all time. Last week, we did our favorite movies in general, sports movies in general. Today, we're specifically focusing on those documentaries. What would be your favorite documentary or a couple of your favorite uh, sports documentaries over the time? Oh, I mean, you have to start with the, uh, the ESPN 30 for 30 series. I think you can pretty much take take anything yep. there as, <laughs> as your top line. Do you have anything specifically from, from there that uh, really uh, stuck with you over the um, since, since you've seen it? I think, I think my favourite one would have to be uh, Once Brothers, the uh, Drazen Petrovic. That was the first uh, one I saw, yeah. One. 
Yeah, fantastic documentary, that one. Really, really cool story because it's something that you know, we didn't necessarily know a whole lot about. So it was cool to just try and, you know, get a look at that sort of old footage and, and, and sort of go a bit deeper into that uh, that relationship between those two guys. That one's definitely one of my favourites. And uh, and also uh, Hoop Dreams as well, another old, old oh, basketball classic. documentary. Well, I think if, if anyone... Okay, go on, Lucky. I was going to say, 21 years old that um, that doco is and it holds up every time I watch it. Absolutely. I watched it again for the first time uh, in a while, uh, about a month ago. And I think anyone who listened to the show last week knows that that's going to be my number one because I had that as uh, in oh, my top ten. Well, I had that in my top ten movies alert. anyway, and I didn't have any other documentaries in it. So that's my number one. That, that's just a phenomenal film. I think if, if you if you go on the internet and you look at your favorite uh, sports documentaries of all time or, or anyone coming up with a list, Hoop Dreams is most people's number one. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it holds up as you said. You know, it's, it's a really old documentary, but it's it's, it's great every time uh, every time you watch it. But I'll, I'll throw in one more. Guilty Pleasure documentary that uh, that I don't think a lot of people will be with me on here, but that's uh, uh, I think it was a 2004 release through the wire, the Sebastian Telfair documentary. That uh, may make a run a little later on. We'll see how we go, but uh, I've I've got it noted somewhere on my paper. We'll just see where it comes down. Yeah, I think it'll it'll probably be somewhere down the bottom. But <laughs> funny hey, what's coming up on the show this week, man? Uh, plenty of action coming up on the show. We've got uh, you know, three or four shows slated in this week for just all the playoff action. We'll be on uh, every other day just recapping all the games. It's been a, a bit of a madhouse the last couple of weeks, but we're, uh, we're having a lot of fun going through all the action. And where can we find all the uh, content, man? Uh, as always, uh, you can find everything, uh, episodes, articles, uh, believethehypenba.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, at uh, Ben or uh, you can follow Tom as well, at T.R.A. Reid. Thanks for joining us, mate. We'll speak to you next week. Always a pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. Welcome back to the Flag Flyers on 1116 SEM with Chris Dyler and Lockie Miller. Now, last week, Lockie, we went through our top 10 favourite sports movies of all time. It wasn't really Australian-focused or anything like that. We weren't focusing on movies with Australians anymore or anything like that. But we just wanted to do a fun thing where we talk about our top 10 favourite sports movies I mentioned uh, last week that I had Hoop Dreams as my number nine, I think it was, eight or nine, and you yelled at me on air saying that I wasn't allowed to have it because it was a sports documentary. So what we thought we'd do is this week we would come up with another list, and you know how much I love my lists. This was a new list. I hadn't done this before. A new list of our top 10 favorite sports documentaries of all time. All right? This was a very, very fun uh, exercise for me, and... We heard from uh, Xavier Player before, and we heard from Ben Yamkadane as well. Most people's favorite sporting docos are going to be one of those ESPN 30 for 30 series because they were a phenomenal series. And I think I mentioned uh, during our chat with Xavier that 12 of my 15 that I came up with were all ESPN 30 for 30 uh, movies. But I'm going to firstly, like last week, we're going to start off with our apologies. Or I'm going to start off with my apologies because I couldn't find... Uh, I, I just had too many to... to to fit in my top 10, right? Because if you have 11, you have too many to fit in your top 10. That's generally how it works. Like Your math is, again, astounding. Thank you. So, these are the ones that uh, just missed out but could have easily made it. Yes. Fab Five. ESPN 30 for 30 about the Michigan Fab Five. Jalen Rose, it Chris Webber. It didn't make your top it, 10. It didn't, it didn't make my top 10. Get out. I'm not going to spend too many to- too much time on these ones because they didn't make it. Ugh. Through the Fire was the one that, um, that Ben Yem just mentioned before yep. about Sebastian Telfair. That did not make the list, but it was an honorable mention. Requiem for the Big East. Okay. About the Big East. Yeah, well, makes sense. Terrific movie. Once Brothers, the other one that uh, Ben Yem uh, mentioned. And Prayer for the Perfect Season, or Prayer for a Perfect Season, I think it is, about the high school team that uh, were kind of rooting for... The perfect season, essentially. It goes through their entire season and they're planning to go through it without a single tick in the lost column. All right, Chris. Now, the moment of truth. All right, let's get All into right, so it. So am I going to go through 10. my 10 and then you go through yours? Is that how it's going to work? Oh, I yeah. I heard it last week, but let's do Well, that. given that you're going through your 10, I might just pick up on, uh, once you do your 10, which ones uh, I have. That, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, number 10 is an ESPN 30 for 30 movie, Playing for the Mob. Do you remember that one? No, I haven't seen it. Relatively recently, it might have come out the last couple of months about uh, bookmakers kind of infiltrating on collegiate sports. I think it was Boston College specifically. So there were there was a whole uh, underground kind of mafia dealings where the uh, these mob bosses were kind of getting in with the players and forcing them to uh, play to the lines, right? So rather than winning and losing, they had to 
uh, go over or under the specific line. So point, point shaving. Point shaving, because essentially it's point shaving, right? So that was my number 10, because that was really interesting. I didn't know too much about the story as well when I first started watching it. So it was something that was completely foreign to me, but something that I, I very much enjoyed watching. Number nine, about the, uh, the, the, the Bad Boy Pistons. Bad Boys, another ESPN 30 for 30 documentary series. I knew of them, obviously. I knew a lot more about uh, the Bad Boys than I did uh, about the uh, Boston College point-shaving scandals. But obviously, this this had everything. Like This was a time in the NBA where it was really, really rough, a lot more rough than uh, you see nowadays. I saw Jason Terry get ejected for kind of shoving Blake Griffin in the back uh, in Game 3, I think it was, in that Clippers-Houston series that I'm not particularly enjoying. But well, uh, the Detroit uh, were known for even getting Larry Bird to, absolutely. to fly off the hand. Or, you know, Absolutely, they loved uh, targeting him. There were clotheslines. There was all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they they really loved being the villains. You, you, you see in a lot of these documentaries how people might have been mistaken and and they didn't really want to be hated. The Detroit Pistons in the late eighties, early nineties wanted to be hated. They're kind of like the Hawthorne of the AFL. They're unsociable football, <laughs> unsociable basketball. But it was fun to watch, and it got people watching. Yeah, absolutely. And they won championships in the process, so you can't really fault them for that. They were kind of, they were the team that Michael Jordan struggled with before he kind of broke out and won six NBA championships. Mm. Right. Number seven. No, I'm up to number eight. Sorry, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Number eight is Unguarded. Yep. Another ESPN 30 for 30 about Chris Heron. Yep, absolutely. Who played for the Boston Celtics and struggled with heroin uh, use. And one of my favorite stories from this documentary, by the way, this documentary was very kind of tiring because it it, it kept looking like he would, he'd seen the light and he was going to recover. And then the next moment, he's back on the gear because he's back in Boston because he's from Boston. Then he goes and plays somewhere else in the NBA and he's fine. Then Boston trades for him and he comes back and he's with his mates and his mates are idiots and they get him back on the gear, right? My favorite story from this was um, when he was talking about how before, it might have been a finals game, I can't remember exactly, but he was playing for the Celtics, he'd suited up, it was like five minutes before a game, he should have been on the court, but he was out in the corner of Boston Garden, in his gear, in his Celtics gear, waiting for his drug dealer to deliver him his drugs before he plays the game. In the rain, in the pouring rain at night time, five minutes before the game's supposed to start. Then his, uh, his drug dealer rocks up, he takes the drugs and he plays a phenomenal game. So that was kind of a weird thing that Chris Heron kind of played a little bit better when he was he was on the gear. But uh, that was just a phenomenal story, very depressing, and obviously wasted away what was a tremendous talent. But uh, it's, it's a lot of these stories kind of uh, stem from the fact that there is a lot of wasted talent out there, and that, that kind of leads me on to the seventh film um, that I've I've got, which is Benji, the story uh, about the basketball prodigy out of Chicago who ended up getting shot and died before he ever had the chance to prove himself on um, on the world stage. Dude, have you seen that one, Benji? I haven't, I haven't seen Benji. That well, was I, I'm, phenomenal. I'm keeping track at the moment. Uh, basketball, 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 <laughs> basketball so far. Uh, yeah, and that's probably going to continue on. Number six that I've got is more than a game. It is not a 30 for 30. Yeah. The first 30 for 30 in my top 10. Oh, the first uh, movie in my top 10. It isn't a 30 for 30, apologies. Uh, the story of LeBron James and his high school team. Yeah, yeah. And it just shows how dominant they were and how good he was even at such a young age. He was touted as a superstar at a very, very young age. And this is why I actually love LeBron James and this is why I respect the hell out of him is because he's had he's been touted as a potential superstar since he was 15, 16, and he's lived up to the hype. How many other players can you say have done that? All these other guys who have come onto the scene at a young age and projected superstars, how many of them have managed to stay off the streets and, and out of trouble and all this sort of stuff? How many off-court issues has LeBron James had? Very, very minimal. Well, I think if we've learned anything from uh, from Tiger Woods uh, is that... Uh, you can cover it up relatively easy. Uh, yeah, you can get a good PR um, agent and uh, and you'll be pretty sweet. But, but seriously, he's, he's still remained a relatively... Uh, contained guy in the wake of his superstardom that he's had for the past 15 years or however long it's been. And that that um, that documentary just shows how big he was because it was a documentary about him and his high school teammates, really just about him and their, um, and their senior, I think it was his senior season. I think what you're going to find in the coming, I suppose, uh, 10, 10 years, 15, 20 years, whatever it is, given how the uh, spotlight on, on talent identification and recruiting and all that sort of stuff in terms of we, we spoke with uh, Ben Yam about uh, Hoop Dreams following kids from when they were 12, I think it was, mm. um, just coming out of 
or halfway through middle school, just about to finish middle school, um, is that uh, we're going to be able to collect more historical uh, vault footage. Yeah, and turn which that, is tremendous. And yeah, and turn it into you know, I what I imagine will just be tremendous. Um, retrospective, uh, you know, documentaries on yeah. on someone that potentially is going to be, you know, the next, uh, you know, heir to LeBron and MJ and and um, and all those sorts of uh, players. So um, that's pretty exciting. I would have thought so, and that, that's why that's why I think people like the movie Boyhood. Have you seen you know you know the movie Boyhood where it, it's Richard, filmed over Richard Linklater? Link- Linklater, yep. yep. Richard Linklater, uh, Ethan Hawke's in it, and um, haven't seen it. Well, that's uh, everyone knows about how the fact it's filmed over a twelve-year period. So it starts off with a and didn't with this win kid an Oscar. when he was sixteen. <laughs> starts off, uh, you know, when this kid, the main character, is six or seven. Then it's filmed once a year for the next twelve years. How, how, how much would you be spewing the fact that you like? Obviously, the word uh, Oscar bait is obviously uh, thrown around an awful lot when movies get pitched to uh, to, to, to studio execs, or at least when they're talking about. Uh, uh, you know whether or not a movie is good enough. I reckon Richard Linklater thought, "Oh, best Oscar bait ever." It's going to take me twelve years to make it, yeah. but and then doesn't win an Oscar. Yeah. And who who won it? It wasn't someone. It wasn't even a good movie that won. Did uh, it? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, can't remember. It was this year, wasn't it? Was yeah, it this yeah, year? It was this year. Um, um, Imitation Game. Oh no, 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 Theory of Everything. Was it Theory of Everything? Or did he win for um, Best Actor? The Theory of Everything. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, look it up. So, number look it up. four, number five now. Number five. I had this as, as six originally, and is then I basketball? was reading. Yeah, Survivor in Advance, Dickie V. You do realise there's more than Sorry, one sport. Jimmy in the V, world. Jimmy V, not Dickie V. Jesus, Jimmy V, Jimmy Valvano. Phenom- have you seen that documentary? I have not. He was just. I'm, f- I'm looking through the thirty for thirty list now, and I'm just going, "Why haven't I seen that one yet? Why haven't I seen Th- that one?" This one's phenomenal because it's obviously the story of, of Jimmy V, who uh, coached uh, NC State. Phenomenal coach, phenomenal man. We'll pack. And obviously, ESPN now have uh, the Jimmy V Day, where they they love to raise uh, money for cancer awareness because he did die at a very young age uh, from cancer. And the best thing about him was he was an incredibly engaging person. He, if if you ever if you ever saw his ESPY uh, Award speech when he won the uh, the ESPY for uh, the Arthur Ashe Award for the most courageous uh, person, I think that's what it is. The most courageous person. It might sound it might be something more elegant, but. Essentially, it's just for the most courageous person of the year. His speech—it was essentially a stand-up act, but it was—it <laughs> was a stand-up act combined with a cancer awareness speech. So it was phenomenal the way he did that. And even I think in the uh, in the film in Survival in Advance, it had one of his speeches when he first got a job, or he was talking about his coaching career. This was I think before he got diagnosed with cancer. Oh, he's a stand-up comedian. He's an entertainer. The way that he was telling stories was just phenomenal. And I've gone back and watched that entire video because in the movie, I don't have had snippets. I've gone back and watched the full, I think it was like a 40-minute speech. I can't remember exactly where he was doing it to. But that was just an incredibly entertaining speech. It was very funny. I've, I've linked a couple of my cousins onto it and they love it as well. But he was truly a phenomenal man and it was a, a tremendous story about him and his wolf pack being, um, you know, going kind of... The Cinderella story, the ultimate Cinderella story, winning the NCAA championship from a position that no one expected them to. So it was a phenomenal story, and that's why it was in my top five. Mm, okay, number five. Number four. Number four. Basketball. Basketball. ESPN thirty for thirty without bias. Okay. What about Len Bias, who got drafted to the Boston Celtics? I think pick two, pick two or three, a very high pick. Number two. And got uh, he OD'd uh, on draft night. He was celebrating a little too hard with uh, one of his friends who, again, it just goes back to the people that you don't want hanging around with these athletes. His friend just, I think it was his college teammate or high school teammate, uh, wanted to celebrate with him. I think it was heroin and he owed cocaine, cocaine uh, and he OD'd on cocaine the night of the NBA draft, which is just a heartbreaking story, but makes the story that much more engaging is the fact that he kind of threw away what, you know, no one knows how good he could have been. He went high in the draft for a reason. He could have been something phenomenal. Maybe it meant the Celtics weren't as terrible as they were in the 90s. They wouldn't have, uh, obviously, you know, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Competed against uh, Jordan's Bulls or anything like that. But they would have been a lot better than they were. Obviously, that wasn't the case. And, you know, the rest is history. Have you seen that one? 
Uh, I've seen bits of it actually. I've got it actually on my on my hard drive, but I actually You're clearly the wrong person I should be talking to about our favorite sports tacos if I've gone through all of these and you haven't seen any. <laughs> uh, well, you, I'm I'm going to list off mine. You got different ones. Fa- all, right, all right, all right. And uh you don't like seem to like the ones that I like. So Three. Can you take a guess? Basketball. Basketball ESPN 30 for 30. The Guru of Go about Loyola Marymount. And Bo Kimball, um who was the other one? Bo Kimball there was a story about uh, the frantic Loyola Marymount team who sw- scoring at an unbelievable two? rate. This is number three. Number three. Scoring at an unbelievable rate. They were a tremendous team to watch until one of their star players drops dead on the court because he's had a heart problem. It was, it was Bo Kimball and... Do you have it in front of you? What the uh, other guy's name was? It's just... I can't remember. It's just fallen out of my head. I had it two minutes ago. Uh, Hank Gathers. Hank Gathers. Thank you very much. Hank Gathers. He passes away. I think he's the one that passes away. Not Bo Kim Bokin Blue's his best mate. And the most touching moment of that film is after he had passed away, Bo Kimmel was taking free throws, and in honor of his friend, of his fallen friend, he decides to take his free throws with his left hand rather than his right and hits both of them because the story about uh, Hank Gathers was the fact that he really struggled from the free throw line and the way that he tried to break down the mechanics. Break down the mechanics, he, he started shooting left hand. That was what um, Hank Gathers did. So Bo Kimmel, to, I guess, Live on his friend's legacy. Shot with his left hand and ended up, I think, winning the game. Or he got he got on both in, and it was a tremendous way to kind of a tremendous fitting way of, of honoring his friend there. So that's number three. Number two, ESPN thirty for thirty, but not a basketball one. Uh, Catching hell. Oh, finally! Thank God. That's number two. I was gonna punch you if you were gonna go through. That your was number two. Ten, and if you didn't have Catching Hell, phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. Phenomenal. I, That's why it's number two. Th- I mean, and my favorite ESPN docker because everyone knows my number one is Hoop Dreams, so number two is Catching Hell. Yeah. Oh, Catching Hell. All right, we might as well spend just a couple seconds on this from my perspective too, while we're at it, because it's the only one that we've crossed. Oh, I think we crossed over a couple. But Catching Hell, watching that for the first time. I've never felt physically like uncomfortable. You feel so sorry for him. I I I remember watching it and like I was I was I was almost just looking through my fingers, yep. thinking that poor guy. Like considering there was six other people that uh, reached for that foul ball with him. Absolutely, but I was just just from the perspective as a fan. Say for instance, yeah, I, I just what, what if you were sitting in that seat? Well, I was just seeing the 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 comparison. I suppose in in my situation, if I was. Um, you know, not that this could possibly happen, um, just because of um, fields and logistics. But just imagine, like Essence playing in the grand final, and they're about to kick a goal, and someone jumps on the field and punches the ball before it crosses the goal line with like one second to go. Or That's whatever. a terrible. Uh, I don't know. Comparison. I'm working off nothing here, but like just, just absolutely heart heartbreaking, and all the character reports about. Um, oh, what's his name? Steve Bartman. St- Steve Bartman was that you know he was just. He was a he was just the most lovely uh, guy. Worked in the community baseball for like kids, uh, little what's it called, little league, yep. main league, um, and just uh, an absolute diehard so- um, Sox fan. Uh, uh, Cubs, uh, okay, Cubs, Cubs fan. Sorry, um, yeah, of course, Cubs can't win anything. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just I've never felt so. Um, and so, he had to go into hiding after that, and he's yeah. never really been heard from since. It's just a heartbreaking story. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's um. <laughs> Cubs curse uh, again in terms of uh, not being able to, uh, you know, get the run of uh, run of things in, in in playoffs and things like that. But yeah, that's um, that's a terrific documentary, and that's why it's my number two. Not quite up to uh, the hoop dream standard, but that is certainly my favourite. ESPN Ducker, and it's not a basketball one, so that's that's not too bad. The the rest of them are basketball ones. I was trying to fit in uh, the Brady Six. Have you seen the Brady Six? The um, I don't know if that's an NFL films uh, documentary or what, but it's all about all the six quarterbacks taken before Tom Brady in yeah. the draft. <laughs> so I, yeah, no, that's um. I was talking to Johnny Smith about um about that one uh, from Pro Kick Australia, just about how you know Brady, uh, the passion that you know, uh, you know, um, he displayed in in just talking about um. He just didn't want to let his parents down. The fact that he didn't get drafted, he wanted to prove himself yeah. because his parents had given up so much for him to 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 get an opportunity. And he just knew that if he got an opportunity, that he'd crush it. Um, and uh, you know, he had to battle uh, through college to get that starting spot. It never got, got given it to him. Yeah. And, uh, and then he battled when he got to the Patriots. It only took for an injury yeah, to yeah. Bledsoe to actually make his way in. Yeah. So did uh, that make your list? Which one? 
Brady Six? Uh, no, it's not on my list. No? But um, like I said, I haven't done it the same way as you have in terms of top 10. That's all right. Let's go, go through yours and, and tell me which ones. That, Fab uh, Five? Yeah, so Fab Five was there. Fab Five. I, I watched that one again recently just because, um, I suppose, uh, in light of... Uh, uh, our friend Blake O'Neill's uh, signing at Michigan. I was yes. like, oh yeah, let's watch something Michigan related. <laughs> um, and just, I suppose there's a couple, there's a little bit of crossover with it with a few of mine. Is that uh, the the reason why I like um, the Fab Five so much is that uh, I and the thing about I love about college sports in general is that uh, the recruiting aspect, being able to, and this is why Nick Saban will never go back to the NFL, is because you can build your own roster without having to worry about draft picks and guys exactly. slipping. You're in control. If you can convince them, they'll come to your program. And if you can create the culture and everything else about it, you know, they'll see the attraction. And it's basically a whole market of free agents. You can stay on top for a lot longer than you probably could in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, with the Fab Five, just about, um, I suppose, who was the, oh, I'm trying to think who was the first domino to fall. It wasn't Weber. Um, uh, John Howard, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, maybe it was Juwan, like Ju- Ju- and then J- uh, Jalen was the last one to fall in the place. I think. Uh, yeah. I think Weber Weber came fourth. Um, but yeah, just just the just the story about you know obviously the get, getting them together in the first place in terms of I think uh, five of the top fifty um, recruits in the if na- that yeah yeah if that uh, and just and just the story of uh, you know um, groundbreaking in that they five freshmen started a game and, and we kind of saw that from Kentucky the last couple of years as well they were kind of doing their own replica of the the Fab Five almost yeah yeah absolutely and uh, well we'll wait and see how they go, go on in, in their careers and stuff like that I mean Juwan Howard that that doco um, I mean that that took place in the late, late 80s still looks the same yeah and Juwan Howard was playing up until two years ago <laughs> yeah. so it's like well, maybe one last year, year last year I reckon um, at Miami yeah and, uh, and so yeah just the Fab Five and, and the story of uh, uh, obviously getting them together, much hype, uh, and, and 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 failing uh, in the tournament uh, with uh, um, what was that? It was that uh, timeout call. Uh, oh, Chris Webber's that yeah, he still can't speak of. Yeah, yeah, and uh, then obviously finally getting getting their uh, act together and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I just think uh, you know, and uh, Fisher, their coach, is now the uh, coach of um, uh, where did Kawhi Leonard play? Aztecs. San Diego State. He's now the coach of San Diego State. Oh, is he? Yep. I did not know that. Yeah. There you go. He's still around. That was, I think, his first uh, coaching gig was at Michigan. Ah. He was the interim coach, yeah, if yeah. I remember. Yeah, and that, yep. that was that was the other question is, uh, uh, you know, the interesting part about, I suppose, that story is that uh, he came over as an uh, as a, uh, interim coach after, uh, um, oh, God, I can't remember his name, uh, got fired mid-season. They went on and they won the championship. Uh, um, national championship, yeah. National championship, and there was question marks whether or not he could actually do it himself, um, legitimately, and all that sort of stuff. So just a lot of moving, moving parts and layers about why it's awesome. But at the core of it, uh, what what I love about it is just, and what I love about college sports is the recruiting aspect. I, I love the idea of um, being able to, uh, you know, build your own team if 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 you can make it look good enough or enticing enough. Um, by, by the way, Birdman won the best picture. I told you I'd look it oh, up. Oh, Birdman. And I should have known that because that's one of the ones that I actually did see. So Anyway, um, going on the back of the Fab Five and the recruiting talk and all that sort of stuff, uh, I'd probably almost say this is my favourite. Uh, okay. I, I know we're doing things a little bit differently, but um, uh, the dotted line, I love it. Like, uh, But the agents. The, yeah, Eugene yeah. Lee and um, oh, I can't remember who the other one was. Um, oh, it, it had cameos from um, from David Falk, uh, MJ's agent, and, uh, and, a, and a few others. Um, but uh, you know, it's a story. It, but Morgan Spurlock directs it. Who who's known from Super Size yep. Me, um, the two thousand four one. Uh, Peter Greenberg, sorry, um, and, and Eugene Lee are the profiled agents um, that uh, that go through um, the story. This is two thousand eleven. I, I reckon I'll probably watch this doco uh, at least ten times, and it's only four years old, under four years old. Um, and basically, what I like about it is just that. Sports agents, they've got a they've got a bad reputation, um, obviously, uh, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of uh, games and backstabbing and all that sort of stuff, um, you know. But the reason why I found this so intriguing was that it's it highlights how much work this industry really is, absolutely, and how cutthroat it is, oh, and how just brutal. It's it's brutal, and I think it's it's kind of like one of those 
industries where uh, almost like the tech industry, um, this again, uh, Lockie Miller, uh, imperfect analogy here, um, in that it's very hard to actually break through when you've got some uh, another competitor that's so well resourced and just absolute yeah. powerhouse. Like you know, these guys compete against you know C um C um C A um no, that's not right. Um, IMG and and um, uh, all these other agencies are just absolutely powerhouses. There's clearly a theme with your films because you had those two, and then you obviously had Jerry Maguire as one of your favourite sports movies of all time. So there's a, a definite theme going on with your movies, Lucky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, you know, the dollar line, uh, you know, uh, just showed the ups and downs of what it is like to be uh, a sports agent, and mm. and also this comes back to I suppose the recruiting and talent ID part of the, of the of uh of the Fab Five and things like that that I really like about sport and college sport, um it it, it followed um uh was it oh, who's the baseball agent that they were covering I think it was um I can't remember it, the name I think it was Pete yeah Pete Green Pete Greenberg um uh basically that went into uh and, and opened up the Latin America baseball market right. Um, and, and identifying baseball talent and, and yeah. bringing them into into the major leagues or at least pilfering it much more. Mm. Uh, and I really like that idea of being able to... And one of the movies I spoke about last week, uh, the... Million Dollar Arm. Million Dollar Arm. Yeah. You know, looking at different markets and trying to find that diamond in the rough that people just haven't looked at yet. Um, like Pro Kick Australia. Pro Kick, absolutely. <laughs> and that's why that's why I love Pro Kick. Um, you know, so what, what else have you got there? Because we're running out of time a little bit, but uh, what, what other films have you got there that haven't been mentioned so far? Uh, the other couple interesting ones that uh, I wanted to talk about, or oh, catching how we talked about, uh, Unguarded, uh, which we spoke about too. Yeah, the Chris Heron one. Chris yep. Heron. A uh, couple uh, left... Left uh, left, us, yeah, left, left field, yep. uh, Bradley Wiggins, uh, A Year in the Yellow. The Cyclist. Yeah, yeah, A Year in Yellow. I've never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it was done by B Sky. Um, obviously, he's uh, he's uh, journeying up until the Tour de France and things yeah. like that. And um, just uh, just the commitment it takes to be a pro cyclist and the workload, you know, uh, it takes to actually get to the top there. I mean, there's a lot of world sports. That, well, obviously, soccer's the, the consensus world sport. Um, I think tennis is another one. Um, and, and cycling is another, and just to be able to reach the top there uh, was really interesting. Um, we sp- hoop dreams we spoke about. Um, oh, I cannot believe we didn't mention this one in all your basketball ones. The uh, NBA's dream team. Oh yes, 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 yes. I know which one you're talking about. Yep. How did you not mention that one? Uh, Co- uh, Spike Lee's Kobe doing work. Haven't seen that. Uh, I have not seen that one. That's a, that's that's it's enjoyable. I wouldn't say it's great. Uh, and Sonic Skate. Haven't seen that either. Haven't you? No. Come on, mate. These, these are good basketball ones. Yeah, you're giving me good stuff to watch tonight. That's fine. Oh, right. I'll watch tonight. Anyway, but um, I've got to see that uh, we got uh, the 15-minute diatribe from Chris Tyler and Lockie Mills <laughs> just been pushed off for two minutes. If we missed anything, please do tweet us and let us know what we missed out. Just uh, hit us up on uh, our Twitter, at The Flag Flies. You can hit us up on our Facebook as well, facebook.com forward slash The Flag Flies. Lockie, it's been a big show as always. We've got an even bigger show coming up next week. But in the meantime... Have a good week, mate, and we'll uh, see you soon.